did that. Put him in the aisle. It's a shotgun snap. Final play of the game. Ron waiting for the wideouts to get downfield. Launches the throw down toward the goal line. Going up. Ball tipped in the air. Touchdown. Jordan Westerkamp. Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest. Oh, baby. Option far side. Back to throw is Martinez. Now being chased. Throws it out. A flat. Burkhead makes a catch. Sits a tackle. 25 20. 15 10. Rex Burkhead, touchdown of Rescue! All right, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on Church of the Corn. Uh, before I get into any of the fun stuff, let me get our read out of the way. Uh, it's Pro Time Nebraska. The Omaha Supernovas hit the court for the first time ever for the first Pro Volleyball Federation match January 24th against the Atlanta Vibe at the CHI or the CHI Center. 7 p.m. is when the first serve is set for. Uh, secure your season and single match tickets now at supernovas.com. Witness first class talent is the Omaha Supernovas host the Atlanta Vibe for the first ever match of the PVF or the Pro Volleyball Federation. The Supernova roster includes former NCAA champions, All-Americans and Olympians. Join the volleyball movement sweeping across the country and see your major league volleyball team, the Omaha Supernovas. All right, that is out of the way. Boys, what's going on? Drake, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Uh, I am trying to stay warm. I'm, I'm dreading when we're done with this, I have to go fill up the truck with gas and I wish I would have done it today. I'm away from church, but Hey, you you live and you learn. Um, I don't know about you guys. Um, but the weather is affecting me physically. My, my legs and my back are locking up by the minute I have. I can't. I can't sit still. I'm dying. Because you're a delicate um, little flower. I am. You know, there's a thing like when you're when you're six six, those muscles really contract fast or or something. I'm I'm gonna go with that. Brian, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I thought at some point you were gonna tell me that things were so wrong and so bad for you that you were looking for the nearest bobcat to jump in it and start going <laughs> going ape shit, tearing up people's vehicles in a in a Home Depot parking lot. <laughs> So I have a buddy who works at the Bobcat dealership in North Platte. No. I, <laughs> I sent him that and I said, please tell me this isn't your rental. And he said, no, they're getting ready to move move out here in a couple months. And he said, no, but I might do that on my way out of North Platte. You know, any publicity is good publicity or so they say. So um, that's a very interesting, you know, stress reliever maybe possibly something for somebody to kind of entrepreneurially you know buy a couple of those bobcats throw a bunch of old cars out there and just let somebody just go out there and just and just you know cause mayhem with them but not yeah. not, to, not to an lpd that that's that when when, it, when i saw the video <laughs> shut down and i saw him gun drawn i was like oh you know that that was just getting juicy right there. Smat a smash room, but out in an open field with bobcats sounds awesome. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. Or just so get some old school APCs out there, some tanks. 
That that sounds really hey, cool. I'm, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm an old Nebraska. I'm an old Nebraska Army National Guard guy. So you can get some one one threes out there and jumping out the back <laughs> and letting the guys kind of just run things over. It would be perfect. It would be awesome. Well, I you know I uh, I sent it to the on patrol live people because I my wife and I watch that every night before bed. We we watch old old episodes of on patrol live every night, mainly because it makes me feel better about my life. <laughs> Right, 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 right. So um, I'm I'm hoping to see that on on one of their episodes coming up. Yeah, you could do several things like whether it's like watching at your favorite store or your mall or whatever. People watching, just like sitting there with your coffee, going, "Man, I thought I had it bad." It's it's like walk. It's like also like watching like married married with children, like Al Bundy, oh, and you're just yeah. going, "Oh my gosh, I will never feel bad about anything ever again because that guy's life sucked." You know, just like one yeah. of those deals, like selling shoes and the, the hot daughter and the idiot son. And then, you know, I don't make any money, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I, I I really do at times wish that I had the same mentality that Al has in not caring what people think <laughs> and just saying what he says when he's at work. Oh, I tell you what, those are some of the best clips ever to go look up on YouTube is just Al Bundy's one-liners. Those are like 15 yeah. minutes of just pure, like, wiping tears from your eyes. Just like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Well, you both have uh, teams in the playoffs. Football is basically done for me. Has been since uh, December 20th. How are you guys feeling about your games tomorrow? Munson, we'll let you go first because we got uh... – Lucky or unlucky with that reschedule of the uh, Pittsburgh Buffalo game today? What's uh? Yeah, um, <laughs> I am. Uh, I feel better about Buffalo as a team than I do Pittsburgh. Uh, just going with where they're at, kind of you know. Even though I do feel like things have gotten uh, better with uh, Pittsburgh recently, you know, they, they've they've gotten. I think Tomlin's always a very savvy coach as it gets closer to the end of the season he's always able to kind of get some get more out of a team than any other coach seems to be able to do um buffalo however you know with the weather and stuff like that it's like such a an x factor i think that people you know probably would say well it's obviously in your favor well it would be if you're playing a bunch of guys from south beach you're playing some guys from three hours just straight south right i mean you're not playing anybody that's just from a radically different climate than what you've got currently. I mean, if you had the guys from Sunnyvale, the 49ers coming in to play against you or, you know, or somebody like that, I mean, it would make all the difference in the world. But, yeah, I mean, you, you, Lake Effect Snow is something that, you know, that those those guys at least are, are very familiar with or at least the, the poor weather conditions. Um, I, I, think, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I still think it's going to be a tough one to get that field cleared and, the, and all the people happy in that in that stadium. But – um, once you once you kind of get to that that temp that right temperature and the right enough out right, right amount of alcohol in your system and you've crashed through enough tables, um, usually you can come walking through that stadium and it doesn't matter what the temperature is you're you're there and, and you're going to be loud and proud. I think this is a good time to remind everybody that uh, our table bet died last season and you don't get to slam me this year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good that's a good reminder. I wish it was a carryover to this season. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, the, there's no rollover minutes here, guys. Oh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a great <laughs> You know, I was, I was pretty happy with the, that that Cowboys game. That was fabulous to watch. Um, as an Eagles fan, 
It was great. I have no faith in my team tomorrow. So um, we'll leave it at that. I have no faith in that team. At this you point. know, Jalen's a different player. I've had him on my fantasy team, and I've really um, – so Sirianni uh, really appreciated everything he did last season. Really loved the running back and the skill position players that you guys have as a whole. But Hurts, even before I think he got dinged up, after about like week seven, week seven or so, after the he just knee. wasn't the same guy. He just wasn't – I mean, there just was something that was completely different about him. And I don't know what he was struggling to do or I don't know if it was somebody else downfield or – it was about the time, I guess, that that Dallas had his injury. I mean, yeah, broke his he, forearm. Yeah, so may, maybe that could have been related a little bit. I mean, there's there was a loss and just the fluidness, mm-hmm. the fluidity of their offense, the continuity, the ability to kind of just get things going. They just – they were missing a guy. And I mean, you've seen on the offensive and defensive lines too, they just got pushed around, unfortunately. So there was a loss of physicality as well. It just, the mindset just wasn't there and it hasn't been for shit, probably the last six to eight weeks now. Unfortunately, it's, they they peaked at the wrong time of the season and we'll we'll see what they do against the Buccaneers tomorrow. At least Green Green Bay seems to be peaking at the right time of season. Those dudes have been banged up all season long. I mean, and, and now, I mean, with the exception of the cornerback that went down again today, um, I, I think that they look really pretty good. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. a really young group of wide receivers. Jordan Love, though. I mean, man, he's on really point right impressive. now. It's wild. I know. Between like him and Stroud, like those are just a couple fun quarterbacks to watch. They really yeah. are. When a lot of people sure, right Stroud now, is uh, special. Yeah. Oh, Stroud is incredible. Yeah, I mean, one hey, uh, salt in the wound. Go ahead and throw that name out there in front of the Carolina Panther fans that are just stuck in this, you know, just revolving hell of what's going on because they got their owner and, and it doesn't because of Matt Rule. Yeah, and it does. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't matter who the head coach is or whatever else. You've got an absolute dunsky of a moron at you know in the wheelhouse running the ship, and he is just ruining your program a la like al davis i mean it's just it's just terrible yeah hey uh question in the chat lions beat rams true or false true i'm saying true um i agree i i i don't it's a it's really an interesting dynamic with the two quarterbacks and how they kind of flipped you know teams and now all of a sudden they're seeing each other in the in the playoffs here but I love Montgomery. I love Gibbs. That they're as like they're they're kind of two headed monster at, at at running back. It seems like Detroit and Campbell almost were like, um, had kind of given Montgomery some time off those last couple three games of the season, and Amon St. Ra, Amon St. Brown. I mean, he is just that guy right there is so explosive as a, as a receiver. I, I I really love their skill position, and I tell you what, Aaron Glenn. As a defensive coordinator, he is doing a heck of a job, and Hutchinson's fun to watch. I mean, it's really a fun team. Yeah, I, I'm excited. Hey, um, so let's let's dive into it, Brian. Yeah. We 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 meant to talk right after uh, signing day, but uh, Christmas Eve kind of got in the way, and I think there was Christmas another Eve. Bills. I think there was another Bills <laughs> game that was on a Sunday night, and I think yeah, like a week, a week later. Like. Yeah. So. Uh, Full disclosure, I was not going to give up my first Christmas Eve as a married man. That I don't imagine <laughs> that would have gone well, gone well with the wife. So, um, obviously, Dylan Rivelwell. 
Dylan Raiola is the crown jewel of this class, right? Yeah. And you got a couple of other big names in there, like Carter Nelson, even Danny Kalen and and Barney or yeah, Barney, right? Is that his last yeah. name? Corey Barney. Barney. Yeah. Those guys are all highly coveted. But one thing that I appreciate appreciate from your perspective, Brian, is you do a really good job of trying to uncover some of those guys that are going to be the diamond in the rough. Mm. Who who do you expect? I I'll even say next year. Out of the less coveted guys to make an impact. You know, the one guy that I just can't get around. I love the fact that he's already in Lincoln. He's already, you know, he's going to be there. He's an early enroller. Um, and, and I think that um, he's more of a, a going to his, to his first natural position versus where he may end up, you know, somewhere else down the, down the line is Keelan Smith. Keelan Smith had a monster senior year, was voted the, the, the player of the year in the, st- in the state of Missouri, um, led his team to a state championship. Uh, I think he's got the right size, the right speed. I think or the right size and speed combination kind of going on for him. I think it's, it's a, a room also. Like when you look at like Quinn Clark, Quinn Clark is an interesting dude, you know, at six foot six and 190 pounds or so, but you know, you get, you get Smith and he's a six foot solid six, three ish, you know, 200 plus pound guy. And I think that he is going to really have uh, an impact, you know, of being able to do a couple different things where he, where he's either working out of the slot is kind of like a like a hybrid Y, or maybe a guy that can find a role for him out of out of the X. I think he's just another really interesting, talented dude that you put into an overly young kind of wide receiver room anyway. That you know, hopefully the transfer portal guys can kind of help bring those guys along and help them mature. I'd say Keelan Smith is kind of my like top dude, like skill position. I'll give you one that I don't know if a lot of people are, are thinking about this or, or whatever, but you know, in, in a class where you've got Grant Bricks and Preston Talamua, I like Landon Davidson. Um, Landon Davidson posted a really interesting picture uh, on Twitter. And I, I got kind of like the full, like behind the scenes kind of details. So Gibson Pyle's dad has moved from Houston to Fort Collins, Colorado. So um, Rex Guthrie and Landon Davidson drove up to kind of meet Gibson and hang out for a little while. And there's a picture of those three guys together. And Rex looks really, 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 really small. But the interesting part was that Davidson looks like a like a towering beast over Gibson Pyle. There was kind of a step or something that, that you know, was was kind of throwing it off. But the interesting part is that Landon right now is going through wrestling and he's had a cut weight and he's in, he's in just incredible shape. Um, I, I don't know necessarily like if he's a guy that you're talking about, like next season kind of under, you know, under the radar, but I think he's a guy, you know, in a season or two that we will be talking about. Cause I think he's just kind of that ideal looking interior offensive lineman for Donovan Rayola and Matt rule. If you had a year away with, with the incoming freshman offensive linemen, would would you like them to all be able to redshirt versus being thrown in early like a guy like Teddy Prochaska was? I think ideally that you would. Um, I, I, I think the – and I'll struggle with it, but, you know, Micah Mazkua, the, the kid from, from Florida, formerly from Baylor, that, that officially visited last – last January now is 
join the roster. I think he takes some pressure off of this group. Um, you know, when I was in San Antonio talking to Bricks and talking to, to, to Pyle, both those guys were hearing from Nebraska, like, come in ready, come in ready. We're going to have an open competition for at least a spot, you know, on the offensive line where I, I think that that would be, you know, where um, Piper, you know, with what's going on with his leg, I, it's kind of an indication, I think, to me that things are way more serious with that injury and, and probably the associated re- rehabilitation that you just can't – the likelihood that you'll see him in the fall is probably slim to none. Um, so if you're really kind of looking at that right, you know, interior offensive line position, you know, that's the spot like those guys were talking about. Um Obviously, very talented dudes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, I, I think for even like listening to Bricks where, you know, he's probably the most talented of the group. He's never really had to do any type of zone blocking. He's never really had to move laterally too much. He's a, he's he's very aggressive. You know, he's a he's a he's a road grading, you know, kind of guy. But it's really more of a hat on hat kind of thing. And just and just kind of go ahead and blow the other guy off the football, which isn't bad. Um, and then Pyle, you know, I, I think Pyle is probably could have very easily have been the other guy that I would have mentioned other than Keelan Smith, besides being, besides me saying Landon Davidson, I really like Pyle a lot. He, he, he serves up the pancakes. Uh, he, he is a guy that's gotten the, and, you know, really cut his teeth playing tackle. Now he's in the phone booth of offensive guard. I think that helps him out a, a ton because things kind of slow down, although the bodies get bigger. Um, but I, I, I think that you're better off, you know, if, if one of those guys seems to be ready and you can roll through the four games of your freshman, you know, rule, the red shirt freshman and keep the, keep the shirt on and, and still you, you can get it down to a point where you can, you know, at least determine whether or not you need him or if there's a need by the roster. But I, I think Micah, I think Micah takes a lot of pressure off this team next year to kind of find a way to kind of put the, get five guys out there that are ready to play. I don't think you needed to roll out this fall with probably what looks like it would be a, a true freshman starting at quarterback and and then have potentially a true freshman starting at right guard too. I, I just don't – I think you want to make things as, as comfortable as possible for Rayola, you know, and, and you're going to get that by having that, that right guard. Mm-hmm. Munson, this staff, I, I think, has done a really good job at evaluating weakness on roster or coaching staff and and, and really hammering uh, hammering on those those weaknesses to make them strengths of the team. With what you've seen in the uh, running back room and the wide receiver room, going into the season, which room are you a little bit more comfortable with with the additions through the transfer portal? Uh, wide receiver. Um, <clears throat> I, I really think that um... – that Isaiah Nayor is a guy that's really under the radar uh, because of just how he got kind of lost in the shuffle in Austin. And, and I know that people, you know, everybody was really excited about Julian Fleming and, and McCord and, and, and I, it, for good reason. I mean, former five-star guy, you know, and, and um, he's obviously going to be a, a guy that's going to have a great season over at Penn state, but Nayor to me has got, great length he's got this ability to be this this kind of longer kind of still take the top off the defense much more like a like a Micah like a like a like a um uh like Coleman than 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 Fleming ever was you know like longer guy um 
So, and, and I think Banks is very similar to that. You know, they're talking about six foot three, 200 pound guys, and, and but they're both proven. They're both proven guys. You put them in the room. Um, and I think that you, you get that kind of number one dude that you were, that you're kind of missing. And, and while I really like Dowdle and I do like Dowdle, I like Dowdle a lot. I'm, I'm a little fearful of what that room, you know, kind of looks like behind him. And, and, and I think everybody should be really excited about Emmett Johnson. I think we saw a really nice, you know, without him towards the end of the season last year, I don't know what you're looking at offensively in some situations. Uh, he really surprised some people. What was he fourth or fifth, probably on the depth chart. And, you know, and, and is it with as many positive words have been said about Quentin eyes. You never saw, you know, never saw Quentin eyes on the field. So that just lets you know how far away he really was in terms of, you know, uh, being a true freshman. And he, it was a, you go back and rewatch his senior year film. I think he was like from Palmyra, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um it's a huge jump a monstrous jump in competition level from where he was at at that level of of high school football in in new jersey to anything in the big 10 or anything even just division one um but you you've you dowdle dowdle has to come in and kind of cover up you know potentially some some guys that have to get their their confidence back after a, a, a bad injury. You got Ramirez Johnson coming back. You got Gabe Urban that lo- they got lost now tw- the back to back seasons to to leg injuries or a hip injury and a knee. Three three um, seasons. Three seasons. You're right. You're right. And it's just it's very kind of it's kind of difficult. I still think that that room. Um, I, I would have look. I, ideally, you get Kiwan Lacey and you add Dowd. That would have mm-hmm. been like you, you. I would have. I would have flipped the answer around if we. If they would have got Lacey and Dowdle, I would have said wide receiver because you just got two guys and you're still looking for somebody between Lloyd and Coleman and and you know and Doss and, and these all the other guys they got to kind of be that kind of third, fourth, and fifth guy at wide receiver. But I, I still just without Lacey being there and not getting another high school running back in the class, I'm going to take wide receiver over running back i think that there's just guys that are just a little bit just i'm just curious about how they're going to kind of you know come back from those injuries again next season there's a lot of question marks yeah with some of the movement happening on the coaching side um which has led to you know a late influx of playoff players hitting the portal Mm -hmm. Uh, washington had had an offensive lineman enter the portal today or yesterday do you think um if some of those running backs come up, we might get in the mix for somebody like that. Or are we kind of done? Do you think, unless it's the next, it, it's the best tackle on the market? Because I think that's what we're still missing is a is a left tackle yet. Yeah. Um, look, I'll tell you this much. Um, I have a feeling that Matt Rule and his and his staff are always open to the possibility of upgrading their roster, and that. That is, uh, that's tough to say and, t- and tougher to do when you are, you know, perceivedly so far over the 85 count right now that uh, taking another guy just is like um, adding a bucket of gas to a three alarm fire. I mean, they, they are, they are possibly as many as 15 plus, you know, over where they need to get to. So if you're gonna if you're gonna go grab another guy right now, 
um, you got to know that it's a one-to-one deal. Somebody else has got to go to kind of get that guy in. I mean, Rule has, I think, brought in 70 or 75 guys, new names on the 85 over the past two seasons that he's been there. So, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's been a really quick, quicker, even flip of the roster than what Scott Frost has even able to do before. And um, it's quieter than what, like, Dion has done, right? Like, you it don't... Is. It, it's much quieter than how Dion has pulled it off. Well, I, I think that I think Dion gets in the way of that. Number one, um, I think that he has a way of kind of selling his strategy out there that uh, it's a lot of people to kind of a, a applaud it that that are in favor of that. And I think at the same time, I think that you know me as I kind of drill into that and I think about it a little bit more, like uh, just you know at the working level of, of what that thought is, it's, it's an ugly, ugly process. And, um, it's not, it's not something that I, it's, it's, it's about as far away from college football or the college football that I grew up watching and covering, um, than, 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 than I've ever kind of seen before. Uh, it is, it is legitimately the wild, wild west. And you can, you can kind of do that thing, but there's, there are ways to kind of do this thing in, in, and have a filter and be, be a little less brash about it. Um, and I think that you can do it to where it works out for everybody involved, as opposed to, you know, doing it just with the the idea that it's just for the good of the school, the good of the, the good of the roster, the good of the program. Um, that there, I think is a little bit tough for anybody. I think just to kind of, kind of digest. Yeah, we got a couple of questions in chat. We we yep. will acknowledge one of them. One of them is a ridiculous. Yeah, this is one. this is gray hair, by the way. That's that. <laughs> that um, <laughs> so Brave Husker eight asked any idea on when we hear anything on Dana Holgerson as a possible coach or analyst. I'll start with this just because the last question kind of led me into it. I think. It'll be, I think it'll be two weeks even just because of all the movement on those West Coast schools. Dana might be back in a, into a head coaching conversation at a school like Arizona right now, potentially. Awesome. Not saying he is, but he could also get, get the keys to the kingdom with an offense as, as a full time OC. So I think that kind of muddies it up a little bit. What are your thoughts? It is a very fluid time. I think number one. Um, I think, I think the biggest problem, and I think that this is, uh, it's probably, it's probably a uh, very much common sense to everybody out there listening and that will listen. Nebraska doesn't have any openings. Um, so you, if you're going to bring a guy like Hogerson in, if it's not for some sort of a analyst p- position, which you would never do, I mean, you're, you you would want to find a way to get Holgerson onto your staff coaching your quarterbacks because he is a slam dunk. Now there are there have been rumors, there have been talks, there have been there have been things going around about certain certain guys looking around, potentially leaving. There have been there's been talks about the interim tag on the tight ends coach and whether or not that's become a full time full time job for him. I don't have the answers for those things. I think that those are also some things over the next two weeks that are going to have to play out a little bit. Um but I think to your point, Drake, I think that that is a, that's a good point. I mean, that he, 
could be mulling not just an opportunity to be the offensive coordinator at Nebraska, but he could actually get another head coaching job to kind of get thrown his way if that's something that he's kind of holding out for at this point. I I just, I I think that, I think that Nebraska and and more to the, more to the point, Matt rule kind of understand how big of a hire Daniel Holgerson could be. I, I think that, I think he's huge in the state of Texas. I think he's he's great with quarterbacks. I think he runs a fun offense. I think it would be one of those things that would be such a great match. Um, you just have to figure out what's going to happen with Satterfield, what's going to happen with the tight ends coach, what's going to happen with any other coaches on that on that on the staff, and you know maybe potentially you know some more of this stuff is going to kind of shake out to where it's going to give somebody else an opportunity to go ahead and leave naturally through some sort of a promotion type lateral move even to kind of get to another spot where they would rather be. You got to remember there's people leave for a number of reasons. Like there were a lot of guys that were leaving Nebraska, the, the head coach, the, the assistant coaches uh, back in the day because they didn't like the winners. So guys were sliding out and going and going back down South, you know, and hanging out. Um, so that that's always a possibility, but I, I think it's, I think it's going to be, at least a week or more before a lot of this stuff kind of, kind of comes ahead. And, and you, you, you've got another week here, like the players will start working out tomorrow. Um, and then you don't start school until the 22nd. So you do have a little bit of time here. It might even be a little bit longer than a week. It might be to the end of January, even to where you, before something like this happens. It feels like the coaching shuffle is just so much longer now that it has sped up earlier into the year with that the addition of early signing day Uh, i mean i've talked about it a ton and you all three of us have talked about it numerous times like at times it felt like the staff last year in a sense not entirely but was thrown together in a rush because of early signing day because of the transfer portal and getting pieces in place so um while it feels like it's been forever it it really has and we're back into a normal timeline i would say now the, the plus side is you're not really recruiting for next year. So you don't have to make that decision yet. Um, no, I, I, I mean, they, they do have their, their big elite junior day next week. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a great kind of way to kind of get things kind of going and rolling. There, there are some teams that are that like Notre Dame is being very effective right now with the 2025 class and where they're kind of at with it within the rooting recruiting calendar. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I, I feel I feel like you've got some pressure off here right now. You're really not looking for anything in the 2024 class. I mean, potentially if there's a, like you said, maybe a tackle or, or somebody else like that pops out there that you want to go ahead and take a look at, um, you, you, could, you could potentially do that. But right now it's kind of this catch your breath, I think, kind of figure some things out, maybe a, a nice time to kind of have – uh, these things kind of logistically work out with your staff um, and, and kind of get things ready to go because come like February, you're going to start ramping it up, particularly with, you know, looking at potentially having a true freshman quarterback this fall. Uh, well, and since you brought up the uh, 2025 class and what Notre Dame's doing, and they're knocking it out of the park at this point, which is yeah. pretty incredible. Um, yep. You know, who are some of the, yeah, a little bit. Uh, who are some of the top recruits that Nebraska is looking at in the 2025 class? I know this upcoming weekend, the 20th, is a, is a huge weekend of yeah. a lot of really highly talented guys. But who are some of the names that Husker fans should be on the lookout for just who are interested in the program right now? 
Well, I, I mean, it's hard to overlook Omaha West Side linebacker Christian Jones. I mean, I think you have to start there in your backyard because he is a he's a national guy. I mean, you you talk about some dudes uh, that come from the state and and they get that Nebraska offer and they're off the board. You get some other guys that that kind of you know kind of perk up and you get Oklahoma State and Iowa State and whatever. Christian Jones has got um, a ton of offers, uh, so I, 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 in, including Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is very hard after after Christian Jones, and I think also, you know, Dvorak has kind of told and kind of warmed Christian Jones up to where he could kind of play inside and outside. They, like they've they've got a really good plan for him. Although I'm not a huge fan of positionless, uh, I hate that term. I, I don't like that at all. Uh, but I, I think that you know you you can you could kind of make a, an argument that Christian Jones is the most valuable kind of guy that's out there on the board. Chase Lofton. I mean, here's a guy that, that's transferred uh, to, to Millard South. Um, uh, just picked up an offer from Texas A&M. Uh, I think he's just got one from Texas Tech as well. Uh, he is uh, going to have a very interesting season over there at Millard South. They've got a, they got a great junior to be quarterback. They've got some other skill position guys around him, including another tight end um, that's that's younger than Lofton and and, and a little bit longer. Um, so that's that's going to be a fun group to kind of watch. Uh, coming in this weekend, though, Andrew Marsh, um, interesting wide receiver to kind of watch from Texas. Uh, Quanell Farquan, um, that's that's also from from the Houston area. Uh, Otherwise, I think he goes by Quan L X. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's interesting because I have a hard time kind of figuring out where Nebraska's kind of at because you know they got they got Caden Vermont in the class. You took I don't know eight guys to play in the secondary next season, and then kind of the, the board is very thin, like in the, in the back end of, of the of the secondary class. Um, and you get a guy like Tyson Terry in there that really kind of fits a, a huge kind of interior defensive line need that you didn't get this year with Carlon Jones. Maybe you get with the junior college guy that they just offered. Um, I think it starts though with, with Christian Jones and, 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 and really Alex Mansky. I mean, I think <clears throat> I look, and, and this is going to be really, really, really tough to do. I think Nebraska has got to get a really good quarterback in the 2025 class. Um, you're you could probably still make an argument to grab a portal guy um, with where you're kind of at. Um, and it doesn't seem like Nebraska at all is interested in doing that right now. Um, they're going to go forward with this, you know, with the idea, I think personally that you put Rayola out there, you have um, what you open like six or seven games, although you got Colorado in there that seemed like you could kind of, <clears throat> you know, baptism by fire, you know, on, on the job training kind of thing. You know, there's going to be some growing pains. I think we could all, all understand, but I think that he's so physically talented and physically gifted that you've got to let him go get his feet underneath him and, and, and get him ready for a tougher schedule, you know, as things kind of move on into, into November uh, in late October. So um, I, I think that that's, that's an interesting situation for him, but I think this weekend, you know, uh, and obviously you got to like pay attention to like Jackson Carpenter, um, Jackson Carpenter. I, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I find a, a player more interesting in the state of Nebraska, because that's a guy that was about an 11 second, 100 meter guy as a sophomore that went to a 10, six. 
um, as a junior. And he's, he's a legit 6'2", you know, 190-ish pound kind of guy that, that really has got like a 34 or 35-inch vertical to kind of boot. I mean, he has got some physical and athletic – he's got some athletic skills. I mean, he just needs – he just needs to kind of get put into a system where he can kind of go out there and demonstrate all that. But he's a, he's a, he's a great athlete and he's a, he's a really, really, really good wide receiver. And that's a guy that I think probably Nebraska, you know, does get here kind of quickly into the class and, and obviously could, could have become one of those top regional players uh, later on if, as time kind of went along. Brian, based off of what you're seeing, not only in who they're communicating with, but just by who's actually signing, on the defensive end, is it a little bit harder for you to kind of track because they have so many tweeners that can go play the rover, they can go play the jack, they might move down into linebacker. Yeah, um, It's really hard to gauge those numbers. But on the offensive side, for me, with the amount of receivers that we've brought in and continue to target, yeah. It makes me think that we're not going to be what what the original plan was, which was going to be like two, three tight end sets, run downhill, which I'm fine with. I actually love I actually love that from an optics standpoint. Um, but for for me, like if that's the case, I want fans to recognize that that doesn't mean you were lied to at the beginning. That means expectations have changed, and they got a taste for things and they know what they need to change. And sometimes that does mean changing your style. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, as much as you kind of want to go ahead and give some credence to the way that recruiting kind of works in the state and using kind of the players that, that, that are there for you to kind of get uh, as well as maybe adjusting what your, what your thought process is will be successful, you know, in the conference I, you know, I kind of go back to like a Rich Rod and what he tried to pull off at Anover coming in from uh, Ann Arbor coming in from Morgantown. Um, he and, and also what Scott Frost tried to kind of pull off coming in from, you know, an AAC team, you know, and, and UCF saying everybody's going to adjust to us. I, I, I just, I, I feel like, I feel like that is such a hard thing to kind of do. I mean, if you're looking for like displacement, you want people to kind of like change, like, you know, make Ohio state and Michigan and Michigan state and all the other cha people change. It's like um, trying to, trying to see how far a ripple, you know, goes out by throwing a pebble, you know, into the Mississippi river. I, I just don't see it as like being a very likely scenario that you're going to put so much fear and, and make people make so many adjustments. And I think also it kind of speaks to the abilities and the athleticism, I think of the guys across, you know, the other side of the, the other, any other programs, you know, that mm -hmm. they're just recruiting some, some really badass players too. And, and that's, that's part of it there as well. So um, I, I do, I do believe some things are going to be different than say like, from where we kind of felt like things were going day one with where we felt like Matt Rill wanted to kind of go with things and Satterfield with this three tight end sets. I think we'll see that sometimes, you know, depending on whatever kind of defense alignment and down and distance you're kind of getting in field position. Um, but I think ultimately with what you kind of seen with Coleman and Lloyd and, and the speed that they kind of tried to bring out there and, you know, and then bringing in this big armed kind of quarterback with Loyola, who's not a statue by any means, but he could still kind of get out there and run and kind of break the pocket and do some things. That's not what you want him to do. 
but I, I think that there's going to be some changes that are going to happen, some differences, what you're going to see from the way things were kind of opened up and kind of said, this is what you can kind of plan on. I think some, there'll, there'll be a lot of differences uh, based on the way they called their shot at the, at the, the original at bat. Yeah. Outside looking in, I, for me, what I envision based off the type of type of skill players they're bringing in is going and, and linemen too. Like obviously linemen set the table, but um, I see somewhere between a mix of current day Oregon that is a big angry offensive line and Washington that can hit those quick hitters with mm-hmm. a super accurate quarterback. Like, yeah, probably not run not run as much as Bo uh, Bo Nix did at Oregon, but similar style. Yeah, I, I I could I could absolutely see that too. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. Um, you know, you watched watched uh, Washington and and Penix, who I was like, oh my gosh, I really was blown away by how good of a quarterback he was. His accuracy, his yeah, his arm strength, and everything about him. And and uh, there's really some fun things to kind of to kind of think about that offense. But I thought what was really really interesting the wide receiver that was going that's going pro with him, um, Odunzo. Odunzo. So when they were talking about him in the first round of the college football playoff, they were saying they loved to put the ball in his hands because he was the fastest guy on the on the team, and he ran a ten six. And if you think about that and just kind of go back to some of like the team speed things that Matt Rule has been trying to upgrade where he had like what, two or three guys that were 10-2 and a few guys, like there were five or six guys that were that were sub 10-5 in the 2023 class alone. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting, I think, how, you know, speed I think is, speed I think is a great thing, but I think obviously where you've got just this, whole kind of well-coached, you know, kind of element thing where the speed doesn't necessarily pop as much as it just, it's a very effective system because they're, they are so incredibly well-coached. And, and that's the part that I think really stood out about Washington. Munson, uh, we brought up the junior day, the one that's happening next week. Uh, let's go down the line a little bit. 2026, the number one tackle in the country, Jackson Cantwell is interested in Nebraska and will be visiting for that junior day. Yep. I guess, can you, how big of a deal is that for Nebraska to be involved in the recruitment, even though it is early, how big yeah. of a deal is that? Is that along the lines of a, a Brandon Baker say? I think it's bigger than Brandon Baker. Um, you know, Jackson Cantwell is a number one offensive tackle uh, in the nation, number three, or number three overall player. Um, and I, I know, like you said, it is early, um, but he's a six foot seven and a half kind of 300 pound dude that is a heck of a track and field thrower. Um, he's a, a really strong guy. You go out to his social media and, and check out his videos and what, what kind of weight he's pushing around in his garage. Um, I think he's a prototypical left tackle, you know, and Brandon Baker, um, the knock on Brandon Baker, I don't think people have kind of gone out and said anything too bad about the guy because obviously, you know, he's at, at modern day high school and, and had a heck of a hell of a, a, a high school career and signed this NIL deal with Texas. And, you know, he's going to go down to, to Austin now and, and, and probably be part of a very good program under Sarkeesian. He wasn't prototypical offensive tackle. I mean, this was a guy that I don't know if he was six, four. I mean, maybe if you gave him the, 
the extra inch with his, you know, with, with, with the hair that he probably was, but I mean, really athletic dude. Don't get me wrong. I mean, super athletic dude. You know who he reminded me of? Oh, and my mind is going, my mind is going blank. He was the uh, offensive tackle from Alabama that got drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Michael Orr. Who? No, no. Um, no. Uh, are you thinking about Jaron Wilkes? Uh, gosh, damn it. Somebody commented in chat too. Cantwell is also a legacy. His mom is from the state. Okay, she's from she's from the but no official ties to the university. Jonah Williams. I, I don't think so. I, I think I've even asked him that. He, I don't think I said. I, I basically said like so. I I think actually his parents might have actually met in college at Missouri, but I know that his mom is from Nebraska. I think she was a track person too, kind of a la Gibson Pyle. Um, No, and it's, he was the guy from the Bengals that uh, from, from Alabama, they got caught up on the banquet circuit. And when he went to go work out the pro day, he put on some moves. Oh, Andre Smith, Andre Smith. So, Funny story about Andre Smith. Um, how do I want to take this story? Let's just say somebody that was interested uh, on one of the old staffs at Nebraska, because he knew they knew that I was down there and I was looking at Andre Smith. They wanted to get kind of eyes on Andre Smith. wasn't six three. He wasn't. He wasn't an overly tall, big dude. He could move. I mean, and that was the difference. He had special feet. He had incredible feet. I mean, almost like the guy could have played point guard. Like, when you think about the type of feet he had, I think about Matt Hoskinson. Matt Hoskinson was a heck of a player when it came to his feet. I mean, that guy played point guard in high school. He was a he was a he was a wrestler. He played fullback, you know, actually as a as a player for, for Battle Creek. Um, Andre Smith was kind of a similar kind of deal. He just had some really incredible technique and, and foot quickness and stuff like that, but he was not a prototypical check the box kind of hype guy. You know, and if you could get past that, then you, you could see potentially this guy that could play that position. Andre, in my opinion, excuse me, uh, um, uh, not, 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 not him. Who was the kid that was just uh, that that went to Texas? My mind just went completely blank. Oh, Brandon, Brandon Baker. Brandon Baker. I was sitting here going from Smith to Baker. <laughs> Baker. Baker. I think he, his future is going to be playing uh, interior offensive line. I think he's going to end up being a guard at the next level. I, I think it's just maybe because he just does not. I don't think he checks the box there. And I think Sarkeesian is going to be very much a guy that's going to be about checking the box because I, I just. I think Texas, you have really special eyes on. Um, why, why don't you ever see a guy walk on at Texas and be successful? I think a walk on at Texas is looked at very differently than at Nebraska. I think they, they view that as a failure of recruiting, um, as opposed to Nebraska going, hey, that's a kid that's just working his tail off, that's that's putting himself in a position, you know, to go ahead and get on the football field, develop late, whatever. Exactly. I think Texas looks at that almost as a failure as to, you know, you had a hole in your class and they had to go ahead and get this kid to kind of step up there. And, and it kind of shows this glaring deficiency in your roster. I, I don't I think they're also about like 
checking the boxes. Like you can't have a 5'11 outside linebacker. You can't have a David Santos. You David Santos didn't check the box for a lot of people either. And and I think that Baker will be the same way. It'll be kind of like you're stuck playing interior offensive line because you're not 6'7. Yeah. Brian, we'll get you out of here on this um, because per per typical, I'll, I'll make you have a long drawn out answer here. Uh, obviously, at the end of this year, we're going to lose a ton of offensive line production. You're going to lose Ben Scott. You're going to lose your projected starting right guard. Yeah. Looks, looks like two tackles. Yeah. Now, when you look at Texas, Alabama, Michigan, they typically go heavy on tackles in one class, heavy on interior in another class, and then kind of spot fill, but they don't focus on them each at the same time. How does Nebraska get to that level while they're trying to get to a level of just having any depth at all? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think that that's, that's going to be a tough cycle next year to kind of lose those four guys, number one. Um, and, and I think also at the same time, you know, if you, if you kind of think about like where the numbers have been at for, you know, Nebraska and Rayola and, and rule and what they've kind of tried to do on the first two classes, they've been pretty offensive line heavy. I think that Rayola, you know, did a really good job this year, you know, going out one and getting, of the best classes I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Between Tamua and, and, and bricks. And I, and I think pile is viciously, you know, underrated, um, and I really like D- Davidson. And I tell you what, there's some people that would go out there and would have told you earlier on, uh, Drake, that they would have picked Peters as being their their guy that they, you know, kind of felt like was kind of a kind of a, a you know d- diamond in the rough kind of kind of mm-hmm. person. Um, Nebraska has got a really interesting year in 2025. There's a lot of offensive tackles in the area. Um, but I think that I think it's one of those things right now. It's like they're still, I think, trying to find consistency there. I think that they were getting there with the five guys that they had towards the end of the season. I think recruiting now has kind of finally started to take a take a turn towards reflective of the on the field product and the kind of coaching that you're going to get at Nebraska. And that's what and, and really what's keeping guys like Brandon Baker away from Nebraska is just on the field consistency. It's not NIL, NIL definitely played a role. I mean, don't get me wrong. And not having Nike, not having Nike. (laughs) You know, uh, he didn't, he's not going to be making seven figures a year at Texas, but it's not far off. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just be honest. I mean, it's, it's some significant money. And, And I don't think, I don't think Matt rule, subscribes to the idea that you know any true freshman essentially is is kind of worth that money particularly a guy that's kind of mislabeled as being an offensive tackle that truly is an inside an interior offensive lineman um so to kind of get back to your question because i know i'm kind of ranting here a little bit no this is why i brought you on i more you I, I think i think nebraska has got to show some more consistency. I think that they've got a great season come, a great, a great possible, great year here with a load of ta- load of talent in the in the region, to where they can load up on offensive tackles. Finally, I think that you've got guys like Tamua and Bricks, you know, in this class that can play offensive tackle. Um, 
I, I think that they're probably almost better off, you know, being inside. And I actually would tell them Gibson Pyle to start getting used to snapping the football. I, I want him to start getting ready to, you know, play with an offhand, you know, play with, get, get ready to do, do some one hand snapping and, and see if you can kind of get that going a little bit. I would be, I would be all in on Nebraska trying to grab three, if not four, offensive tackles in this class. And, and I think that I think honestly, here's here's another thing too. And and my mind is just kind of kind of uh, a little bit um, a little bit tired or kind of switching between the NFL game here or whatever. The offensive lineman from from Gretna. Um, that's that's uh, that. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think what his name is right now. Really good looking player, but that's Nebraska has got so many six foot three and six foot four, 280 pound guys that they don't need those guys anymore. They need to find six foot five to six foot seven and really kind of long, leaner, you know, kind of really athletic looking guys because. I would say that they have got an abundance of players that can play interior offensive line, and they really don't have enough of those guys that are really more prototypical offensive tackles that you see on Sunday. So I, I think that they're going to be all in on three or four guys at offensive tackle this, this this year, and I think that they have a stockpile of interior offensive line. Yeah, that's kind of how I took it. And that's, how, that's how I took this class was it was majority of guys that could – Mostly are going to play the, on the interior of the line, and, and going forward, that's where they'd have to focus would be on the tackles. Put you in a rough spot, but I mean, there's there's plenty of talent out there at least in the next class or two. So yeah, I mean, and and Cantwell, I mean, for him to come back a third time, I mean, he's only he's only been to two other schools three times: Georgia and Alabama. I mean, that's huge that you've got him come back for a third time. I think, like I said, Nebraska just has to show some consistency to turn some some more close games into dubs. And to, to show that they're, they're on their way back a little bit, a little bit closer. You can't go out there and go undefeated in October and completely defeated in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to make a bowl game this season. And I think that if you're showing that progress this year, it's another one of those kind of Matt rule. Hey, let's point to Temple. Let's point to yep. Baylor and how things were kind of happening. That's what you're kind of looking for out of the season. If you can do that, you will get some of these guys this year out, out of that 500 mile kind of radius. And you'll, you'll get your three offensive tackles if that's what you want to do. Shit. Well, I love it. Uh, Drake, did you got anything else from Munson? I'm good, Brian. Thank you so much, man. Let's go, Buffalo. All Let's right. go. Well, thanks for joining us today, everybody here tonight on Church of the Corn. Brian Munson, Drake, myself. Uh, have a great night, everybody. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks again, Munson. We'll talk to you yep. later. See you guys. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.